it's hard to come back into speaking when you feel like God is ministering like he just did through that worship time. And, um, and then the double header, I'm following up after Matt Doty from last week. There was a glass of water up here. I think it was the glass of water that he left here last week, so I drank it just to see if I could get a bit of an anointing. <laughs> <laughs> Fill her up. <laughs> because I am following up these other people, the only way to go forward is to read the Bible. Can you turn with me to Mark chapter 4? And verse 35. <clears throat> On the same day, when evening had come, he said to them, let us cross over to the other side. I felt this morning while we were worshipping that God has us on a journey. And we are getting these little thoughts, prophetic words, impressions about to prepare for this journey. Let us go to the other side. Now when they had left, verse 36, when they'd left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was. And the other little boats were also with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat, so that it was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on a pillow, and they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Then he arose and rebuked the wind to the, and the sea and said to the sea, Peace, be still, and the wind ceased. And there was a great calm. But he said to them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, Who can this be? Even the wind and the sea obey him. This trip was one of many experiences that, the far, that Jesus took the people on to help redefine what it was that he was expecting from them. So it's not just a little story about Jesus' power over wind and waves. I want to propose to you that this is a story where the Father is acting sovereignly and independently in his disciples, in their natural ways of leading themselves in life and, and turning them to understand that they're about to embark on a new world order and that they need a different way of going forward. And so what he does is he exposes them to a set of circumstances which disrupt their normal way of thinking and acting. So if anyone here wants to be a Christ bearer and you feel like Jesus has you on a journey, then you will be in this same process in your spiritual growth. Now this brings great comfort and it brings great discomfort. When Jesus was hanging on the cross, he started saying some words, which I won't say in Latin, but my God, my God... Why have you forsaken me? And it makes it sound like he's been abandoned. But for those who had learnt their psalms, 
Psalm 22, that was a hook for them to go into that psalm and to meditate on what the Father was achieving at that moment. If we turn to Psalm 22, I'm only going to, I would like to read the lot and talk about it, but we don't have time. But we'll just read the first 11 verses. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me and from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but you do not hear, and in the night season, and am not silent. But you are holy, enthroned in the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in you, they trusted, and you delivered them. They cried to you and were delivered. They trusted in you and were not ashamed. But I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men, despised by all the people. All those who see me ridicule me. They shout out the lip. Sorry, they shoot out the lip. They shake their heads saying, He trusted in the Lord. Let him rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. You can see the scene at Calvary in these scriptures. Um, And you'll see it even more if I went and read further. But you are he who took me out of the womb. You made me trust you while on my mother's breasts. I was cast upon you from birth and from my mother's womb. You have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is no one to help. And I think as these disciples were in this boat in a storm where their boat's filling up and they start to lose uh, their... Um, sense of safety and security, all of a sudden, well, where is God? Where is God? And they move into what I would call blind faith. So when they say to Jesus, Jesus, would you mind waking up? We've got a little storm going on here. And I'm frightened. No, I think it was more like this. Jesus, wake up for God's sake. (laughs) We're drowning. Can you do something about this? I'm frightened. I think they were actually at that point in their uh, experience where it was extreme. This wasn't a little mamby-pamby experience. This was where seasoned fishermen were used to going out on a lake and experiencing wind squalls and storms. But this one was a monster. And they feared for their life. And what happens when you fear for your life? You move into the state of (laughs) extreme anxiety, of course, but the desire to know how do you get saved. Faith is a journey into another dimension with a different sense or sensitivity brought to life. It doesn't take us on a regular journey. And Jesus said, let's go on this journey. And the Father says, I'm going to take control of this. I'm going to take them on a different journey than they're expecting. They're about to learn how to trust completely, how to rest in a storm like Jesus and not fear the power of circumstances. I love that word from Trish. Look not at your circumstances, but look at the words. Let's um, slide two. Um, There's the lake. It's about 
25 k's from one end to the other, about 14 k's wide. What's that? Oh, the Lake of Lake of Galilee, the Sea of Galilee. It's got actually about three names. Um, from my understanding, you lose the sense of the horizon after about seven k's. So you're out on the lake, and there are no more boundaries to give you navigation. You're actually cast out to a place where which way is the best way to go. And, we, and, and they go off on this journey to go to the top where the demoniac is. They don't know that, I don't think. Jesus just said, let's go to the other side. And there's no sense of the boundaries. And I guess that's what happens sometimes on our journey. We lose a sense of, I knew my experience told me that life was like this, but God has a point that he's trying to make, and all of a sudden we're out into an experience that is way beyond what we've known in the past. The Father sent Jesus, Jesus takes them to the other side, and the, lo- and the journey in the boat is a journey into obedience that they weren't expected. During this week, a prophetic word was given to the church. No one knew what I was speaking of, and I never knew about this prophetic word. But I'd like to read it to you, because again, God has us on a journey. I think we need to listen to these words and understand how God is trying to take us somewhere. The the prophecy says, I opened a book and wrote a new page, new page in big letters. All the other pages before I tore out and scrolled up like a telescope to look through and I felt the Holy Spirit say, For so long, the past has been used to inform and gauge the present and future. But where I'm leading you, you haven't been before. There's no compass, no map. You need me to guide you. I will be your instructor, and I'll give step-by-step instructions. But you can't get there without my voice. Lean in. Sometimes I'll whisper. Listen. Sometimes I'm walking ahead and beckoning you forward. Watch. Sometimes I stop and need you to stay beside me. But always I will lead you. Not by power, not by might, but by my spirit, says the Lord. This is a call to longevity in the spirit. Sprinters need not apply. Sprinters need not apply. It's time for endurance, resilience, perseverance, dedication. Don't make me drag you. Simply let me lead you. As a shepherd shepherds his flock, my sheep know me. They hear, they follow, because they trust me and know that where I'm leading them is to better pastures, safer pastures. Say goodbye to the things of yesteryear. As the Reformation changed history, so you will see unfold bit by bit the changing of history, the writing of history. But it won't be one big thing. It'll be over time. 
and suddenly you'll look back and say, look what God has done. It has been slow and gradual, but for all men to catch up and to buy in. It's about longevity, a marathon. It has to be sustained. Hebrews 11 verse 8 says, By faith Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. And Ecclesiastes 9, 11 to 18, summarised, says, Wisdom. The Lord has spoken about wisdom. Wisdom to steward the outpouring. Wisdom to know how to move forward and advance. His wisdom, his time, his approach. I find that extremely encouraging for us at this milestone, at this milestone as a church. Keep that in mind as we move forward in these next weeks and months. Jesus slept while the boat was crossing the river, which was in contrast to the storm circumstances that he was, the boat was experiencing. Was he not interested? Or was he just aware that he was moving in the Father's will? I want to give you five examples of people who trust in God's sovereignty. The first one's not a biblical one. You remember those shows like SAS Australia and The Fear Factor? Where they used to get a box, blindfold you, and you had to put your hand in there and something would touch it and you didn't know what was in there. Or put you on a bridge with a bungee cord on and push you backwards. That's extreme trust. Extreme anxiety. And I was thinking, how do, you, how do you learn about a new sensitivity until you have some of your regular senses denied? You have to learn how to tune into a new sense by tuning out of some of the old senses that you have. And this is what's happened on this boat trip. These guys knew sailing, they knew storms, but God took them to another level. I think sometimes we, the boundaries get changed. So that happens when we see a divine healing. All of a sudden, we're seeing regular health problems. <laughs> no, health problems. And we think there's regular ways to deal with it. But then there's a divine healing that just crosses straight over it. And you think, wow, this is, this is breaking the boundaries. This is taking us to an understanding of faith that we never had before. Uh, Steve Moore, are you here today? He was sharing with me a couple of weeks back that he prayed for someone in Penguin about three years ago that had cancer and then didn't see him again and only recently found out that the person got healed. It's happening here in Tasmania. Divine healing. And so we're pressed past boundaries that we wouldn't normally consider. Um, and so... That's the thing about experience. It takes us to a certain point, but then there's the unknown past that, and that's that margin. That's where faith lives. That's where risk is. And that's where God is expecting us to be open to. 
When we know how to handle a situation, we have self-assurance. When we don't know how to handle a situation, when we have to have faith to go into the unknown, that's the margin. And that's where God's character is revealed more than any other time, I think. The Father's, the father's character is shown in that experience. Slide three. Faith is telling you... Oh, yeah, moving beyond the margins. Did you see how I put the words just outside the margin? Yeah. Thank you. Karis, I'm taking over the job as... Uh... <laughs> No, no, okay. <laughs> Faith is telling your mind and your convictions to fall in line with a new reality, with what Jesus says and what God and who God is. The rest of our time we're going to spend in Philippians. We're going to start with Philippians 1, verse 6. He who began a good work in you, and I'm confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. The Father is in control of our spiritual growth. He began it and he will end it. He bookends our faith life and he's going to help us get to the other end, to the other bookend in our faith. He controls that process like he did in this storm. He controlled the process of moving them forward in an area of faith they had to learn. The disciples had to be more like Jesus and until they went through a number of these kind of experiences they weren't there. But the Father was working on them, becoming Christ-like and Christ-bearers. He who began the process will end it. But there is a process, and God is in control of it. Paul, who wasn't in that boat, had similar experiences uh, in terms of the extreme nature of persecution, uh, Shipwrecked, beaten. Uh, anybody else want to volunteer a few th else things that he went through? Prison, hung up like, you know, in chains in a Philippian jail. Snake, yes, all those sorts of things. And he knew that he also was in the process. And in the book of Philippians, he's actually trying to encourage the people of that congregation to go on the same journey. In chapter 1 and verse 19, we read, For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I will be ashamed, but with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. He had expectations. He had an ambition that Christ would be magnified. He was on that journey and he knew that the Father was controlling the process, but whether it was by life or by death, 
the father would see him get there. Despite all the circumstances he'd been through, if we go on to verse 27, only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel and not in any way terrified by your adversaries, which is a proof to them of perdition or judgment, but to you of salvation and that from God. For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake, having the same conflict that you saw in me and now here is in me. Don't be terrified by your adversaries or your adverse circumstances. Keep trusting God because he is saving you. Expect to suffer, but God is in that process, is what he's saying to these people. Jesus also committed his earthly body to this same process. And we find Jesus is our companion to go through it all. So whatever besets you, whatever comes upon you, you have a companion in Jesus Christ. In chapter 2, we go on to read that, Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love... You read this out before at the prayer time. I was going, yes. Another sign, another thing that says God is in today's message. He's actually got words to say to us. Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy, being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. We will receive the consolation of Jesus Christ. We'll receive his love. We'll receive his fellowship in the Holy Spirit. We'll receive affection. We're going to receive mercy. You can expect to receive that from the Father. And then, as we join in that process, we will experience the same joy, the same mind, the same love, and be in the same accord with other believers. Christ can't be magnified, it says in verse 3, if we're selfish or conceited. Verse 3 says, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each other... uh, I've jumped. In lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than himself. And the same in verse 4. Let each of you look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. So Christ can be magnified if we're humble and esteem others, but he can't be magnified if we take on a selfish approach. You know, lifeboat, every man for himself. We're in a storm. You know, just look after me. But he's saying, no, look after others. When I, was, when I became a Christian back in 1980, yeah, a long time ago, I came from a very selfish background, very self-centred and a very proud manner of way of life. And it was a family thing. I wouldn't accept any generosity from others. I was too proud to receive it. Um, 
I strived to be good at what I needed to be at. So I pursued my sport because it was the thing I was only good at. I wasn't very good academically. If you'd have said that back then that I'd be standing on a stage now, I'd laugh. But I became a Christian and one of the verses that I first learnt was this Philippians 2, 3 and 4. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but consider other be- others better than yourself. And I memorised it because I didn't know how I could magnify Jesus in my life in front of others. And then I got this verse and it said, it's a very simple thing, but it's a very profound thing. Honour other people. Don't just look to your own interests. Learn how to turn it to other people. It's a small thing, but it will make ripples in other people's lives. And so I encourage us to think how Paul's encouraging the Philippians. This is how you can magnify Christ in a very simple way. The third example I have was, um, and probably a number of us have done that, has listened to the testimony of Bill Johnson when he, just after Benny, his wife, died, he spoke a message, uh, was it uh, within a week or two weeks, eight days, four days, four days of when he, when Benny passed away. And he, he answers the question, why is this happening? In this great loss, in this great emotional turmoil of what's going on with his lost partner of life. And he says he doesn't know why. God doesn't work for him. He works for God. He wasn't able to answer the why question. But he was able to say that he thought a person of small or backsliding faith asks God why he does painful things to them. He goes on to say that he thinks the the backslider in heart will always judge God for what he didn't do. But for him... And for those who run with God with a tenderness for who he is, they'll always define God not by what he didn't do, but by what he said, what he promised, and what he has done. I love that song that um, uh, John Owen Kay wrote. You know, we don't worship you. And, and someone explained this to me. There's an, there's an elementary level of worship where you thank God for all he's doing for you. But there's another level of worship where you stop worshipping for what you get and you start worshipping for who he is. For who you are. I love it. We're not worshipping for what we get but because of who he is. Jesus defined his father in these same terms from a tender heart. And he goes on in chapter five, 2 and verse 5. Paul writes up and says, Let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, not, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Chloe, if you want to go back to verse 5, 6. Who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery 
to be equal with God. That's a strange expression, to rob God. I know someone who did try to rob God. His name was Lucifer. And he said, I don't want to live under your rule. I don't want to trust your dominion. I don't want to run in your race. I'm going to rebel and run my own. I'm going to take what is your glory and I'm going to bring it to me. I'm not going to trust you. I'm going to bring the glory to me and I'm going to take people, with, uh, spirits, angels. He's going to take others with him. And he's going to rebel against God. And this pattern of rebellion is something that is ingrained in us and that's something that we have to challenge. That we would not rob God of his glory but move to a place of surrender to his glory. That's why it says in verse 9, Therefore God also has exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. Jesus' name was glorified as he surrendered and did not rob his father of his glory on earth. Jesus lived in a surrendered and submitted way. So you might think that the way up or the way to be glorified is to serve God. Now the way to serve God is to serve God and God takes care of whether he glorifies you and how he does that. It's a full stop. We, we serve him and we honour him and we follow his reputation. We take on his mind in how to f- please the Father. As it says in verse 10, the Father exalted Jesus. In verse 11, we glorify the Father when we humble ourselves under Jesus and his example. And... The final verses I'd like to read to you are verses 12 and 13, which are sort of like an iteration of the bookend. Verse 12, Therefore, my beloved, and this is where Paul is trying to help make, take them on a transition from doctrine to practice. Therefore, right? You've got the theory about what it is to serve the Father, to know the Father, to live like Jesus. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to do his good pleasure. That's the process inside the bookends. That the Father works in us to both will and to do his good pleasure. I'd like to um, ask someone to come and join me. Uh, Can I have the mic? Um, I've asked Steve to come and share a bit of... a few things that he and I have talked about as we've had coffees together. Thanks, Steve. I see Steve and his life, and I am honoured to be someone who hangs out with you. Cool. 
But for those who don't know you, um, and there are a number of people here who are visitors and have recently joined the church, would you just like to outline maybe the circumstances, the oh. storm that maybe hit your family? Okay. Um, hi. Um, my wife, Louise, uh, we were part of the church and uh, she was uh, diagnosed with lymphoma back in 2017. We got treated for that in 2018, got to relapse. Um, we moved from Queensland to Tassie in um, May of 2021. And in July of last year, uh, Louise had a relapse and uh, treatment went well for a while. And then beginning of this year, things started to go really, really south. And uh, we went through, basically went through hell uh, over a number of months, so lots of admissions into hospitals and so forth. Um, and then uh, ended up going to Melbourne uh, for treatment there. Um, that was unsuccessful and um, Louise passed away on the 12th of September. How has God been explaining what his will and pleasure is during this time to you? Great question. How has, say that again. Well, we, we just read about how God wills. He works in us to do his will for his good pleasure. To do his, you know, for his will and for his good pleasure. Have you had any connection or any understanding of what yeah. God is doing yeah. during this? Yeah. Um, I might take the opportunity just two seconds before I answer that just to say thank you to everyone this is the first time I'm be able to speak publicly there's so many people praying for Louise during that time and we really felt that and so, so thankful for that and I just wanted to express that straight up now obviously Louise dying was not what we wanted and obviously that was quite devastating and I just want to acknowledge that um, that would have been devastating for many people here who were really praying and asking God to, to come through. Now, Louise obviously didn't get healed. I don't believe that her death was his will, his perfect will, but obviously he allowed that to happen. And I guess I've come to an understanding, like that message that, um, that you mentioned before by Bill Johnson, it's called Breaking the Bread of My Soul, and it was preached four days after Benny died. Um, someone got that message to my family and I made my whole family listen to it because it was just incredible, just an amazing, amazing thing. And it's true that um, I've, I guess through my experience um, as a Christian, um, having been around the block a number of times now, um, I've, I, I didn't question why it happens and I'm not going to ask. You know, I'm not going to ask God to try to explain himself to me on that one. As Bill Johnson says, he doesn't owe me an explanation. And the reason, though, I don't want to do that is because I've done the spiritual gymnastics in my time, right? We're trying to work out what's going on and why, 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 and it just leads absolutely nowhere. It's a waste of time. But God is actually... But I do know this, that God is still sovereign and that God is still good. And um, it's interesting, um, yesterday, that song, The Goodness of God, I got that going in my head. And I said, that's a pretty cool song. And I knew that we were going to be speaking along those lines today. And I said, God, it'd be pretty cool if you could make that part of the worship tomorrow. Oh. So anyway, thank you, Lord. You did that. Yeah. Um, so just through the time that we've been going through, and there's been so many messages that have come across from different people. Um, you know, uh, Tim Keller. I just listened to a Tim Keller message and so forth. But... What I do understand is this, even though um, 
uh, this has happened, God is still good. And even though the path that I find myself on and my family finds themselves on right now is not the one we expected and not the one we wanted to be on, he's going to make it good. Because the Bible says God causes all things to work together for, um, for good for those that love him and are called according to his purpose. And so I can expect that God is going to bring goodness through this. Um, certainly for me, it's heightened my awareness of eternity and what uh, I will want to be doing for God. I heard something recently where it says a cloud of witnesses. Um, they get, a, they get a, a prize based on what we do. You know, and I heard it said that it, with a, a relay race, if you're a, that you can, there's an analogy of the cloud of witnesses with the relay race. If you've got someone who's in a relay race and they're the first runner with the baton, as soon as they give that baton to the next runner, they don't turn around and go hit the showers. They watch to see how that race is run and whether they've won or not. And then they get a prize depending on how the other people have done. So I'm, I'm just confident that God is going to bring good through all of this and it says to it says good for um, for all of those called according who love him and are called according to his purpose. So it's not just going to affect my family, but it's going to be for the whole body of Christ as well. I'm tr- trusting God to do that. That it? Okay. Um, the tumult, the the upheaval you went through would yep. be a very could cause a lot of insecurity. Steve, you sound settled or... Yeah, I mean, there's still, I think, um, like even this morning, there was, there's, it was traumatic. Like, to see your, your wife suffer like that and to go through that and just to see everything stripped away, I mean, there's just trauma there, you know. And I'm not, I don't know whether that's all resolved yet. So I've said to God, I've got no idea how to deal with that. Hmm. I'm just going to trust you to do that somehow over time. Um, yeah, I okay. don't know how else to answer that one. No, well, you did mention when we were having coffee the other day, John fourteen twenty seven, which... Yet, yeah. my peace I give to you, and my peace I leave with you. I do not give as the world gives. You know, let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. After Louise's death, there's been a number of other challenges which I will not go into at all, but that verse has meant a lot to me, and... Um, there's a real promise in that verse. It says, let not your heart be troubled, you know. When we start to understand the love of God, and I'm still learning about the love of God, when we start to understand the love of God, we get to not let our heart be troubled. It's a, and there's joy in that. So even though this is a hard time, there's still joy that God brings. Okay. One oh, final yeah. one. One final one. Cool. <laughs> You're actually the speaker today. I was just the intro. Great. Um, do you have any encouragement or any advice to anyone who may in the future have this kind of upheaval come oh, to them? Man. Is there anything that someone could do to prepare? Oh, to prepare. Um, and I just want to acknowledge too that I'm not the only one who's suffered loss, by the way. I know of at least one person here, I don't know if he's here today, but he's lost his wife fairly recently as well. Um, maybe through similar circumstances. There's people that have um, gone through divorce lost children so loss is basically pain is something that's common to all of us in going through that sort of thing um in terms of preparing um 
I, I just think it's so important that we continue to, um, the disciplines, I guess, just be in the word of God. I would encourage us all to um, learn to receive from the Lord. And the way he likes to download into us is through messages. Um, he likes to bring the word. You can read the word of God for yourself. But I also think listening to the, the, the preached word of God that honours Jesus, is based on the word of God, anointed by the Holy Spirit, God will feed you. And when there's actually a word around the Hebrew word for feed is the same word as fight. So when you're getting fed, you're actually fighting the enemy as well. And when, when those, uh, I guess it's what Jesus said, you know, if you hear my word, these words of mine and you do them, it's like you're, you're going to be like building your house on a rock. So I just encourage us to continue to, to listen to the word of God and allow God to speak, learn how to receive from him and, and honour Jesus, yeah. Just in case Steve didn't have an answer for that, I look back through some of the texts that we shared over the last nine months and this is how I thought he might have answered as well. I've been fearful and upset, thinking all sorts of foreboding thoughts at times. I've got next to no strength and not a lot of faith either, but that's okay. Jesus loves that because when he gets the glory, as he should... He loves that because he gets the glory as he should. I'd rather be on his side. Feels a whole lot better. It's time to fight and declare with Jesus his word over all these things and see this thing broken. Let's do that. Wonderful character, Steve. Musicians, if you'd like to return to the stage. It's been said from this platform on a number of occasions that we need the Holy Spirit. The Word of God does many things. In Romans 8.3, thanks Dylan, it says, For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. We can't do what we should do sometimes because our flesh is too strong. We can't fight, we can't be true to the course. And we need the Father's help and he sends his Holy Spirit. He's our comfort and our strength. He, he energises our flesh to follow, follow Jesus. Hebrews 11.6 says, this is how you can please God. You can have faith that God is a rewarder of those who really seek him. I encourage us today, if you've got some things in front of you, we want to come together as a body to walk together in this movement forward where God has us in a process of journey, on a sojourn. So let's let our musicians sing and let's experience faith by asking God to lead us in these times. <laughs>